Hi, this is Christian Kuhn. I'm here sheltering in place, and for various reasons, I didn't get a chance to record uh, any new interviews um, over the last couple of weeks. So this is a rebroadcast, uh, and one that I particularly enjoy doing. It's with Rutha Mae Harris. I talked with her in August of 2018. She's uh, most well-known to be one of the Freedom Singers, an important part of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. So you can listen to uh, Rutha Mae and hear her thoughts. Hope you're all doing well and look forward to giving you new content uh, in a couple of weeks. And so here's the podcast. Hello and welcome to Failing Boldly, a podcast that invites people to share stories about failure, resilience, and perseverance. I'm Christian Kuhn, author of the book Failing Boldly and pastor of Urban Village Church in Chicago. I'm honored this week to have Rutha Mae Harris as my guest for this podcast. Ms. Harris is a retired teacher who lives in Albany, Georgia, but she's perhaps more widely known as one of the original Freedom Singers, a group of activists and musicians who worked with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, in the early 1960s. The group traveled across the country raising money and awareness for SNCC and their work during the Civil Rights Movement, and also providing inspiration for all who listened. The pinnacle of her work with the Freedom Singers was to sing at the March in Washington, which happened 55 years ago today. Ms. Harris shared many inspirational stories of her work with SNCC and her memories of that day in Washington in this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, Rutha Mae Harris, thank you so much for joining me on the Failing Boldly podcast. Thank you for having me. I have lots of questions about your experiences with the Freedom Singers uh, and uh, doing so much and having such an impact on the civil rights movement. But first, I was wondering if you could just tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, I know you grew up in Albany, Georgia, uh, and had influential parents. So I was wondering if you could first share a little bit with the listeners about your own, uh, own upbringing. Well, first of all, I was born right here in Albany, Georgia, on November 27, 1940. I uh, finished school at, in, right here in Albany, Georgia. I uh, high school in Albany, Georgia. I taught school for 30 years at the high school that I graduated from, which is Monroe High School. Um, and I taught special education. And I also was a cheer coach for 25 years. I retired from teaching in 2004. And uh, my, my dad, my dad, who was a minister, um, sheltered us from a lot of the uh, ills of segregation because uh, he wouldn't let us go to the movies. He wouldn't let us go to the restaurants because he says, I built this house for you to sleep in and I built this house where your mother can cook your food. So there's no need for you to go to the restaurants nor hotels. So. I thought that, you know, I didn't know that I couldn't go to these places because he sheltered us from a lot of that. And when I started working in the civil rights um, movement here in Albany, Georgia, then I found out that I was not free. I thought I was free. Hmm. So my upbringing, that's, that's how my upbringing went. Um, I was sheltered from a lot of the ears of uh, segregation here in Albany, Georgia. Yeah. 
But then what? after finishing one year of Florida at Florida and M University in 1961, I came back home for the summer and uh, I joined uh, the Auburn Civil Rights Movement during that summer. And that's when I began my work in civil rights. And that's when I began to um, work in the community, uh, voter registration drives, uh, mass meetings, et cetera, et cetera. And it sounds like the stories that I read of you is that you were debating about whether to stay in Albany. I was, I, was, I was trying to decide whether I should go back to school or continue my education. And upon um, working with the voter registration and singing at mass meetings, I decided that I wanted to get my freedom and I didn't want anybody else to get it for me. So I made my decision to become involved in the civil rights movement and become a member of the SNCC Freedom Singers. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, uh, the SNCC Freedom Singers were organized right here in Albany, Georgia during the summer of 1962. Uh, and we, this group traveled uh, 50,000 plus miles in nine months telling the story of the civil rights movement through song. We were saying at mass meetings. And how, it, how the Freedom Singers came about is that um, at one point, uh, Pete Seeger approached Cordell Reagan, who was one of the original Freedom Singers, and, and told him that, what you thought about taking this group on the road so that we can raise funds for SNCC? And he said that my, my wife Toshi would book the, con- the concert. So that's how the group was organized right here in Albany, Georgia. When you agreed to, was there, I guess I should ask, was it a hard decision for you to say, uh, I'm going to go on the road with the Freedom Singers and travel that many miles over that many cities in that short amount of time? Or was it a pretty well, easy decision for you? You know, at the beginning, we didn't know how far we would travel or okay. how far we would go. But when, um, I asked my mom if I could travel with the group, and she said, yes, only if you promise me that you will come back and finish your, your uh, education. And that's what I did. That was my premise. I had to complete my education. She would let me go on that premise. So that's what I did. Not knowing that we would be covering four to six states, and at that time, there were only 48 states. So we missed two states. I think it was Wyoming and, oh, man, can't remember the other state that we missed. <laughs> Not right this moment. It might Oregon. The state, the state of Washington and Oregon. Okay. Did you have any, when you started out, did you think that, I guess I have a couple of questions. Did you think, it sounds like you didn't realize you'd be gone that long and you'd travel that far. And did you also realize what an impact that you would have? No, we had no idea. You know, we were, we were just uh, four people on the road telling the story of the civil rights movement through song and to raise funds for SNCC. That was our purpose. And anywhere we could sing, we would sing. And anybody at, at you know, book us, we would do that. And our first concert was at the YMCA 
uh, WCA at Urbana, Illinois. And that was our very first concert. Coach hmm. Siegel uh, booked our tours. And then after that, we were uh, asked to come and sing everywhere. And how we got to the March on Washington, Harry Belafonte charted a uh, plane. And somehow we were asked to come and um, ride on the plane. And that's how we got to March on Washington. Well, before we talk about that, can you just say a little bit more about just the enormous amount? I can't imagine how exhausting that must have been to continually travel and sing all the time. And then I also read that it was up to you to find your own lodging, to find your own food. And so in addition to singing and traveling, you also, you were um, SNCC field secretary. No, we were, we were, there were places waiting for us. Oh, there were, we okay. went. Yeah, there were places waiting for us and homes. We stayed in homes mostly, in white homes to be exact. Hmm. And there we were fed and, and uh, slept. I don't know who wrote that, but we didn't have to find our own housing. Okay, okay. Were there ever days when you wondered whether it was worth it, or did you always know this is exactly what I need to be doing? This is what exactly I I wanted to do at the time. Okay. Um, I had no problem, and I knew that at one point, you know, it would end, but I just didn't know when. And by us having missed those two uh, states, my body became tired. And um, I told the group that this was it for me, uh, that I had to go on back home and complete my education. And that's what happened. Hmm. Can you say a little bit about the kinds of songs that you were singing? When you say kinds of songs, well, the, the songs of the civil rights movement were taken from rhythm and blues, gospel, um, any kind of music. And the only thing we did was change the lyrics to fit the occasion, mm-hmm. whatever the situation was. And we chose songs that people knew. Like for instance, in the, we had mass meetings and we wanted to... Uh, let the people join us in our singing. There's a song called I Woke Up This Morning with My Mind on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we changed that to I Woke Up This Morning with My Mind on Freedom. Hmm. I'm sure you've heard that. I have. Yeah. So that's how songs of the civil rights movement were, were made. And we chose the tunes that people knew. Mm hmm so that we wouldn't have to teach the tune, but just teach the lyrics. So it was much easier that way. And then in mass meetings, people would come up with verses. Hmm. Uh, people would start singing songs like, come and go with me to that land, or come by here, my Lord. I ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. I ain't scared of your jails because I want my freedom. Here we had Chief Pritchard and Mayor Kelly, and we would say, oh, Pritchard, oh, Kelly, open themselves. Can't you hear God's children crying for freedom? Can't you hear God's children suffering 
that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What I've read a couple comments from you about that if it wasn't for the songs of the civil rights movement, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you're not sure whether the civil rights would have been as had as big of an impact. I believe, I believe with my heart and soul, had we not had these songs of the civil rights movement, there wouldn't have been a movement. Mm. Because the songs kept us from being afraid. Mm-hmm. Whenever we were jailed, we would sing songs of the movement and pray. And they just uplifted your spirits. Even the sound of the billy club or the holes, water holes, anything. The songs, and sometimes the song would change the police heart mm. or the state trooper heart, you know, when you start, start singing these songs. Like, walk with me, Lord, while I'm on this tedious journey or this freedom journey. I need Jesus to walk with me. Mm. And when those songs become embedded in you and you know who's on your side, my favorite song was Walk With Me, Lord, and my other one was Just the Closer, Walk With Me. Those are my two favorites. It seems like singing too. I mean, there I know speakers who would talk and address mass meetings are important, but then singing too, it would seem to me anyway, allows those gathered to participate in a way that they might not if they were just listening to a speaker. Right. We had to always open up a mass meeting with songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the speaker would get up and then you, after the speaker speaks, then you come out with another song and start your march from the church to wherever you were planning to go that day or that night. Songs play a very vital role in the civil rights movement. And you talk about, too, at how it, or at least I read anyway, that it helped you to not be afraid because there were moments, uh, from what I read, that you were jailed, that I read that yes. once in Alabama yes. that you were I shot at. Jailed. Yes. I was jailed three times. And I spent a total of 14 days in jail. And, and I tell people that I was happy in jail. I never want to come out. <laughs> but my mother said, young lady, you at least need to come out and take a bath, you know. So that's why I was jailed three times. But I didn't ever want to come out. How come? Well, I was, I wasn't, I was arrested for falsely arrested. That's how come. And I... I and I didn't think that was right. So staying in jail was my protest. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the singing helped you too. And the singing played a very vital role. Kamamita hymns and congregational songs and all of that. So you mentioned the March in Washington and you, you mentioned that, do you remember where you were exactly? And uh, you said that Harry Belafonte helped charter a, a jet for we you? Were out, we were out in California. Okay. Uh, we had uh, programs out there, and uh, we that's where we were. Um, and uh, we were flown into uh, Washington, D.C., on the plane with Perry Belafonte. And, of course, we sang at the March on Washington. And the song that I led is, We Shall Not Be Moved. And there's a copy of that uh, that tape in the uh, new museum in uh, Washington D.C. I actually I saw a, I saw a video of that, and I noticed 
that you were the one, that your voice was the first, that you were the one to kind of lead the Freedom Singers on that day. And so what was going, can you, right. what was going through your mind? I, I, I would have thought that. Man, it was such an awesome day. I've never seen so many people in one place. They looked like little maggots. It was so many people there to me. <laughs> I know that sounds gross, but it's just what they looked like, you know? And that was a, a wonderful sight to see. I shall never, ever forget that day. Were you nervous or scared at all? Well, I've never been scared. I've never been nervous singing. Hmm. Um, and of course, my dad instilled in me not to fear anything. Hmm. And I've just never been afraid. And people ask me, you're not afraid when you sing? No. I've just never been afraid. Well, especially, I mean, the, the, you, like, as I noted, you had to hit that first note and they had no accompaniment. And of course, you, you hit it perfectly. And so you can tell in watching you perform, too, that there did not seem to be any fear at all. Oh, no. Uh-uh. And I sing a cappella now. When I do my presentation, I sing a cappella. I do solo work now. Every now and then, uh, Charles Nebel, who's one of the freedom singers, and um, Betty Fike and my brother Emery Harris and myself, we get together sometimes and we, um, we do programs. But I travel a lot by myself and I, I do a cappella. I don't have to worry about a band or anything. I don't have to carry instruments. I use my, my voice that the Lord gave me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you, did you, at the day or the day of the march, did you realize what an impact that day would have? Had no idea. Had no idea. Didn't even know what to expect. I just knew that we were on the program and all these people were going to be there. Had no idea of how many people were going to be there. But it was such a wonderful sight to see when you're standing um, where we were standing and see all these people out there around the Washington Monument. That was a sight to see. And then to hear the dream, the dreamer dream. (laughs) (laughs) It was a wonderful sight. Did you get a chance to meet Dr. King? Peter Peter, Paul and Mary, we were next to each other. And um, somehow... And she started crying. And I said, well, why are you crying? I don't think we're going to be able to sing. I said, well, weren't you invited to sing? I said, you were invited to sing. You will sing. So she did. They did. And uh, she was real happy about that. And, of course, I was fortunate enough to sing at her memorial. I understand that there's a, um, a link of that memorial somewhere. Which Mary memori- Travis. Uh, Mary which mo- Travis. Oh, okay. Mary Travis uh-huh. Memorial. Okay. Yeah. And I, I sang at that memorial. I was asked to come and sing, which was exciting for me. Hmm. Did, you get a chance, did you get a chance to meet Dr. King that day, too? Oh, yeah. I got, I got a chance to meet him in Albany. Oh, okay. He came to Albany, Georgia. 
Yeah, I got a chance to meet him a lot. <laughs> what were your impressions of, of him and some of the other leaders? I would imagine you met John Lewis then too many times. Oh, yeah. John Lewis, John Lewis was a part of SNCC, so we were part of the same organization. As a matter of fact, I just sang at his um, luncheon that was given in his honor, I believe it was two weeks ago in Atlanta. Remember when he they had when he got sick? Mm-hmm. Well, it was I think it was the day before he was in Atlanta, on his way back to Washington. I think that's when he got ill, became ill. I'm like, but I had just been with him. Uh, Martin King was a sent by God man, but his time was limited. That's what I say about him. He was our Moses, and then he was murdered. Uh, there was um, Jesse Jackson. There was, um, what's his name? Um, mm, mm, mm. I can't think of Wyatt T. Walker, Julian Bond. Um, the name's escaping me now, but all of the leaders that were doing our time were very, very strong and knew what they wanted to go, where they wanted the movement to go. And it sounds like you always had a, a sense, too, that your contribution as part of the Freedom Singers had just as strong of an impact as other people like the men you just mentioned. You are exactly right, because without the music, they wouldn't have accomplished all that they, they set out to accomplish. Hmm. Music played a vital role during the Civil Rights Movement. Was it a hard decision for you to... to come back home and finish your education? No, it wasn't a hard decision. My body became tired, and I had promised my mom that if she would let me go, I would come back and finish my education. And that's exactly what I did. I came back, and uh, I started back at Albany State in 1967, and I finished in 1970. And I started working in 1973, and I retired in 2003, and I did my first recording in 2004. And now I'm traveling around the world. Still singing. Still singing. (laughs) And will be singing. And during the interim of that, I have organized a group of young people from the, well, in 1998, I organized a group of freedom singers to sing at the Civil Rights Movement here, Civil Rights uh, Institute here. Um, in 1998, I organized that group. We sing every second Saturday in the month at the Institute. And maybe two years ago, I organized a group of young people ages seven through high school. And I call them the the junior freedom singers. So I still have the songs going because I do not want them to die. Yeah. Yeah. How so did the you... young people are learning, the young people are learning why uh, these songs exist and how they exist. 
They have to tell you about these songs before they can sing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you stay involved with things while you were teaching? So you said you, from early 1970s until 2003, how did you stay involved with the, the issues that you felt so strongly about? Well, I tell you what, I had some good principles. Whenever there's a program that I needed to go to, I was excused. I even went to uh, Turkey with the uh, Freedom Singers to perform in Turkey. And of course, um, I I sang with a gospel group called uh, Georgia Mass Choir. And then that had nothing to do with civil rights, but my principal would let me go. That was in Spain, so I had the opportunity to go to Spain with that group. So the Lord just has blessed me, and I give back to him by you still using my voice to sing these songs and to teach. And every audience that I'm before, I teach them the songs. I don't just, I deliver, I tell them about the song, and then I teach some songs. I don't teach all of them, but I teach some of them. And each audience knows some freedom songs. Or they have had access to freedom songs. Yeah. Yeah, because I teach. I don't just talk about it all the time. I involve them in my, in my uh, presentation. And I just did a presentation at Clinton's library. Um, I want to think it was last month. And uh, they were told me that I was the first one to involve an audience in a presentation. Hmm. <laughs> Still teaching. Still teaching. Yep, and I will be teaching until the Lord say, enough well done. I was going to ask it about retiring, but my hunch is that that, uh, you will continue to stay active and continue to travel and continue to teach others to sing and still sing yourself. I will. I will. And I do. That's what I do now. I travel to different cities and colleges and universities. Anywhere I'm asked to come, I go. Can I ask one of the things that I ask folks on this podcast is to share a story about a time maybe when something didn't go quite as well as they would have liked. Uh, and what they learned from that. And so I was wondering if you can think of a time when where there's a performance or something where it, things just did not seem to go well at all, uh, and maybe there was some kind of uh, lesson that you learned. I can't remember a time where something went wrong except when we were traveling through uh, Alabama and we were shot at, uh, but we all came out safe on skate. The only person in the car who couldn't duck was the driver. And the three of us were praying, sending up prayers and singing. And that's how we got through that. Um, anything else? Nothing. I don't remember anything um, going wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's a, sounds like sending up prayers and singing are wonderful responses uh, when you sense that uh, uh, either you're in danger or your uh, oh, yeah. uh, or challenge Absolutely. comes up. or Yeah, we knew who we were and we knew who had our back. We were all Christians. 
Rutha May Harris, it's been 55 years since the March on Washington, and it still has an impact today. And can I ask, I guess, one more question. As you think about where we are in 2018, and certainly there's that struggle, I think people say that progress has been made, and yet at times, I was just reading today that a majority of Americans think, think that race relations have gotten worse in recent years. Because of 45. Because of 45. Trying to turn the clock back. But we're not going to let that happen. We fought too hard. Too many people died. Too many people um, lost their minds. Too many people were hurt and beaten, like John Lewis. Um, And we just can't can't let them turn us around. We can't let nobody turn us around, not even 45. So we just got to dig in. It seems that we got to start all over again. But it sounds like you still have hope. I still have hope. I just don't believe that the Lord brought us this far to leave us. Well, that's a good note to end on. Um, <laughs> Ms. Harris, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your day to, to speak with me and continued uh, blessings on the work that you do in, in teaching and singing. Well, thank you so much. And that's this week's episode. Thanks again to Ruth May Harris for giving her time for this conversation. As you can hear, she is still traveling, still teaching, still singing. So you can take a look to see where she might be in your area. And if you're ever in the Albany, Georgia area, she still sings and does work with the Albany Civil Rights Institute. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast. To learn more about my book and the ministry I'm a part of, you can go to christiancoon.com. Thanks again for listening.